Join me there. Grab your prayer bulletin on the back. We have an outline. If you are unable to grab a prayer bulletin, Brother Dick Tyman is going to make his way down <laughs> the center aisle, and uh, he'll hand out an outline there. That would be great. If you need one, get his attention. Uh, that would be wonderful. And we'd love for you to follow along. Always easier to follow along with the outline, and uh, nonetheless, the scriptures are pretty plain and simple themselves. And so we're looking forward to getting back <laughs> into this um, uh, this passage here. So. All right, if you need one, get Brother Dick's attention. We'll look at verse 16 and 17. We'll just kind of quickly go back to where we left off last week. Such a powerful passage. I'm just glancing through this, studying it. There's just so much to this chapter, boy. You, you could preach it often, and, but we're going to finish the chapter, I promise you, at least within the next two years, okay? And so uh, we'll get there. And, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, I am looking forward to tonight. We'll hopefully, if time permits, uh, we'll finish it up. If not, we'll do that and then get into chapter 11 next week. Verse 16, if you notice it with me, but they have not all obeyed, speaking of Israel, they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so we started looking at this passage and these verses to kind of introduce this section. Verse 16, we understood as Paul is quoting Isaiah, uh, they're both torn up at the reality that it doesn't matter. You, you can sometimes preach to your blue in the face, you can share the gospel, but there are going to be some people who don't believe. They refuse to believe. Now, glancing back over this chapter, I'm just reminded of how much this chapter is about believing, believing, believing. The verses 9 and 10 that you and I have memorized together as a church, uh, thou shalt confess thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And just time and time again, the, the repetition, verse 11, for the scripture said, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Uh, for with the man, uh, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Verse 10, uh, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This uh, huge thrust about trusting and believing in the Lord. And therein is the issue with Israel, as we've seen. Last week, as we've developed this idea, we also saw this fact that the gospel, Paul was making a point to them, the gospel is not some new thing. They were exposed to it since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and possibly even before. So uh, throughout the entire history of Israel, they uh, this knowledge was there. They, they should have understood all the symbolic nature of, uh, of many of the sacrifices and other aspects of the Jewish law and so forth. They should have seen it. It was there. It was obvious. And uh, the fact is the sacrificial Messiah is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. The Messiah, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is not just a New Testament doctrine. It is a Bible doctrine. And it's from the beginning, and Israel was exposed to it from the beginning. So Paul's making that point and helping them to see, trying to open their eyes. They've always had the gospel. It was but for them to trust in God. And uh, through faith, as he has gone back to Abraham and, and spoken about his faith and belief. We saw in verse 17, as we continue, the reality is that Paul is getting to the heart of the matter, and therein is where it lies. For Israel had failed to believe. And so we started to say, okay, what is this faith as verse number uh, 17 speaks of? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, we saw this. He's speaking to the reality of personal faith. It isn't, as we've seen, about your heritage. It isn't about what nation you come from. It is not about your, uh, who you're a descendant from. Uh, this is personal faith. And so as Paul's driving that home, the first step is hearing. And that hearing involves both the presentation of the gospel, hence those verses we've looked at in verse 13 or verse 14, and uh, verse 15. 
15, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace, glad tidings. And so uh, he's, he's hit on this. It's both the presentation but also the openness to it. And therein Israel fell. Oh, it was presented. We'll see that tonight. Paul makes a very good statement about that. Number two, the second step is receiving it. I must receive it. It is certainly a mental assent that that is the truth. It is the truth. Uh, And receiving it, and then it necessitates, well, let's back up here a second, okay? It necessitates this third step. And the idea of that mental assent, though, is that is not, you can say there is a God. Well, you've done well, but so do the devils. They, they know there is a God, and they tremble even. Um, but it's a, it takes a step. And, and we mentioned, we hit upon it quickly last week, and now we want to develop it this evening. The fact is this, that third step that's wrapped into our salvation faith or saving faith, and, and, and can I just step back and make something very clear? We've often spoken about how we don't believe in easy believe, believism. ABC, repeat after me. Here's what, and just this, saying the words, going through the motions, this is saving faith. There must be the reality of hearing it. There must be a reality of receiving it. And number three, there is a personal surrendering to it. A submission, a yielding to, yes, that is the truth, and I am a sinner, my sin makes me deserving of hell, and therefore, I need a Savior, and so I surrender to that Savior. Some of you tonight, and the old uh, illustration is reuse it repeatedly, and uh, old tried and true. Many of you tonight, you walked in here for this service, and you know what you did? You surrendered to the pew. See, if someone had got in there and they loosened all those screws and everything else, and you sat down in that pew, there would have been no hope. Because you surrendered, boy. You just threw all your weight into it. That's still a very good, though old, a great illustration of surrendering in faith. What are you leaning on? What are you looking to? What are you trusting is going to carry you to heaven? The only thing is Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. So does a yielding, a submission, and you see that here, a submission to that truth, who Jesus Christ is, and certainly by extension, a surrender to the God of that truth. Hearing, receiving, surrendering. I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior alone. Uh, We see that throughout the Scriptures. See, when the New Testament speaks of faith, it, it certainly speaks of surrender. A personal surrendering to the truth presented. A man hears the truth. He, he agrees that it is true and he does something about it. And that something is, in faith, submitting to it and surrendering to God one's life. Literally, he yields his life to that truth. The truth becomes what we might call a submitted to part of his life, a part of his behavior. Saving faith, then, uh, is hearing It is receiving and in surrendering. It is believing on the name of Jesus Christ and submitting one's life to Him. Um, You can't emphasize it enough. The fact is, it is uh, completely putting one's trust. And the key word is completely. There are things out on the market today that uh, for your car, right? Your car needs oil. Your car needs needs different fluids. If you didn't know that, you may be in trouble, okay? Your car needs different fluids. It needs oil, transmission fluid, and things like that. Gasoline, okay? You may have found that out one time, okay, Uh, about gasoline. And it needs it, right? And so there are all kinds of additives 
alternatives out on the market. So to make your car run better, to, to, to stop a leak, whatever it may be. What is an additive? Well, obviously by definition of terminology, it is something you add to what's supposed to be in there. You can't take an additive and leave out the main thing and just throw it in there. Okay, we get that. But we add to it and it makes it better and so forth. You know what so many people do? They look at salvation as an additive. See, Jesus Christ is not the additive. He is the one and only thing. See, you can't add Christ to good works. You can't add Christ to living a good life. Yeah, you can't add the, uh, this, this past week we were pre- preaching in, in the jail, and uh, <laughs> I always try to figure out what people are, where they're at, and so forth. And just asking folks, you know, they're so quick to say, you know, in, in response to if you stood before God uh, this day and you asked them, why should I, they're so quick to add something to it. And my friend, it's so crucial for us to understand that most of the world wants to treat Jesus Christ and salvation is an additive. And here's where the word surrender comes into play. Because the fact is this, a lot of people, and I'll submit to you this evening that um, we have to be careful in use of some terminology. See, some have described in salvation this completely trusting in God as commitment, a commitment to God. And that word is greatly used in Christianity, but I would submit to you, we've got to be careful because in salvation, and it's not about commitment, it is about surrender. Surrendering completely to Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm committed to that. Fantastic. Because today, it it is a buzzword, isn't it? Committing to that cause and committing to that college if you're an athlete to go play there. And this idea of commitment. And boy, today we've kind of said commitments are easy to get out of. Amen? Marriage, other kinds of commitments. Boy, you can back out real quick. And we've kind of submitted that. And I think we need to be careful in how we use that terminology. More importantly, not to substitute old illustration of a, a preacher who has gone on to heaven now, but uh, he told the story that he went to and uh, took a trip to Romania. He was preaching there in that country, and while he was preaching there, he had the privilege of spending some time with a, a Baptist preacher in Romania, and that man was well known in the country. In fact, he was considered one of the founding fathers of the current modern uh, Baptist church. Uh, he had gone through persecution. He had been uh, persecuted in prison. He had been tortured. He, his life, his very life had been threatened. And, and uh, one of those uh, areas of the, uh, of the world in which he really suffered for his faith. And this preacher from America was driving down the road in the car with him one day. And uh, he looked at that preacher from Romania and he simply asked a question. He said, would you, would you please tell me your, your thoughts, your concept of American Christianity? The Iranian preacher looked at him and said, I, I, I don't really want to do that. American preacher was taken back a little bit, and he, he said, no, no, please tell me. He said, well, in America, the key word is commitment. American preacher didn't quite get it. He wasn't following. He said, well, isn't that a good thing? I mean, isn't commitment a good thing? The Romanian preacher simply said, no, not particularly. I, I don't think it is a good thing. So as a matter of fact, if you, if you were to use the word commitment as you're preaching, and I was translating for you, he said, we don't even have a Romanian word to translate from commitment. I can't even translate that word for you. He, he said the word commitment really didn't come into use even in the United States until the 60s. Well, it was in the dictionary, but it was not in full use. Romanian preacher went on to say over and over again, now in the churches of America, you hear about the word commitment, commitment, commitment. 
he went on. He said, I began to think about that. So when a new word comes in, it generally pushes an old word out. So I began to think, what word is commitment taking the place of, that Romanian preacher said. As I read the Bible, I found out that the word that commitment has replaced is the word surrender. He said, well, American preacher asked, what, what is the difference between commitment and surrender? Romanian preacher simply said, when you make a commitment, you're still in control. But when you surrender, you're no longer in control. He said, for example, you can commit to win souls because you decide to do it. You can commit to study your Bible. You make that choice. You, you can commit to tithe, uh, he said. You, you can say, I've decided to do this or that. <laughs> then he said, many and preacher, but suppose a man puts a gun on your back and says, stick him up. He said, you put your arms up like this. He said, there was no negotiation about it. You're not committing, you're not committing it. You're just simply surrendering to that. Reality is that you are uh, surrendering completely. Then he made this statement. From afar, he is Romanian preacher, had been to America many times. He said, Americans like to be in control. Now, I would interject, I agree, but I think mankind likes to be in control. He went on, he said, we like, as Americans, you, you like to make commitments, but the true word is surrender. Now, don't use that illustration to say, uh-oh, let's stop using the word commitment. We use faith promise commitments, that's great, it, it, it's good, uh, it's a good word, but let's be careful, we don't want to confuse the two. Surrender is necessary. And I think sometimes we, we kind of confuse them because the control is the big issue. You see it here on your outline, what he said, and I'll repeat it. When you make a commitment, you're in control. But when you surrender, and that got moved off because of that, I'm sorry, you're no longer in control. I don't know what happened. What got adjusted back there was fine earlier. And so, I don't know. Computers are a wonderful thing when they work. When they don't, you want to take a, a Louisville slugger to them. Or a gun, depending upon your proclivity. But anyway, um, nonetheless, hopefully you can figure it out, okay? You're no longer in control. Now listen to me. I do believe there's some people who believe there is a God. They believe there is a Savior who died for their sins even. But they would rather commit to God than surrender to Him. They treat God like an additive. Uh, we've had people walk through those doors. And they're here to try out the Baptist. It's an additive. They go into other churches. They, they treat it like an atom. Let's add this. Let's try this. Let's throw this in the mix. They, uh, the amalgam. Let's, let, let's use this and make it a part. Jesus Christ is not an additive. You come to the realization that there is but one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, him alone. Saving faith. It isn't commitment. It's full surrender. How we like to hang on to some control in our lives. And you say, well, Pastor Henry, how does that all play into this? May I submit to you? You know what Israel wanted to do? Israel wanted to hang on to control. They wanted through the law and their works and their good living. Look at the Pharisees. They, they wanted to have an aspect of control of heaven and, and getting themselves there and earning it on one level or another. 
I would submit to you that I believe there are many Christians even today who, who surrender to Jesus Christ in salvation, but only employ commitment in the Christian life. They have failed or fallen short of completely surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord. You don't have to be around Fostoria Baptist Church very long to realize that in no way, in no definition, do we teach lordship salvation. But you better believe we teach lordship sanctification. That day by day we are surrendering and we are giving more of our life over to God, allowing His Word and His Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us to yield to Him in every way possible. He is to be the Lord of our lives. In some ways and areas that may be a lifetime process. But the reality is, every day we're striving to make Him Lord, Master of all. And friend, that requires surrender. Just like salvation requires surrender. May I submit to you that a God who loves us enough to give His Son to die for us, a God who redeemed us from hell, who uh, since the beginning of the foundation of the world began preparing heaven for us, He doesn't deserve just commitment. He deserves my full and complete surrender. And that's what saving faith is. It's hearing, it's receiving, it's surrendering. That is believing. And henceforth, you and I are called, as we even saw on Sunday, we're we're called to walk by faith. Literally, we could put it this way, to walk believing a constant surrender to God and His way and His will, yielding Him control. You see, the Christian life is not a life of commitment. It's to be a life of daily surrender. I think Paul put it bluntly, but I think Paul put it best. I die daily. Surrender. We love the song. We sometimes sing it at an invitation or play it at an invitation. I surrender all. You could easily say a song should be written, I surrender every moment. That's Christian life. I surrender every day. I surrender to Him in His way and His will. You know, you say, Pastor Henry, that's fantastic. How's that have to deal with Israel? Well, that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? What did verse number 16 say? But they have not all obeyed the gospel that was given to them from the beginning. You take a Jew, and if he was reading this letter, if he was listening to Paul, he would have been infuriated at what Paul wrote. He would quickly say, no, wait a minute, Paul. What what about this? Now, Paul, back here this. We didn't have this. And and he would offer arguments. And what's interesting, if you look at verses 16 through 21, all of them begin with a conjunction but except one. And that one starts with so, another kind of word to use, a a transitional word to, to be argumentative. And so Paul is anticipating all these arguments and all these but, 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 all these questions. And he is responding to them here. You see, if faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, as he just stated, uh, the Jews would say, now wait a minute, we obviously didn't have the privilege of hearing about the Gospel. And we didn't know about that, Paul. We didn't, we didn't have the Gospel, Paul. That, that, that wasn't us. And yet the fact is this, they had failed at hearing. If faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, they had failed. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, that's not true. And he goes on to prove it. Here's the reality that they displayed, and we'll see if the next slide is messed up. It isn't. Praise the Lord, okay? They displayed what? Their heedless hearing. Look at verse number 18, if you will, with me. Notice it. But I say, have they not heard? 
Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words into the ends of the world. You know, what a great statement. We'll see Paul getting going here. It's a classic argument from the Jews that he anticipates, okay? Parents, have you ever told your child you're, uh, to do something once or twice or three times, and then you, you lower the boom, and they're in trouble, and whatever? Uh, they're going to face punishment, and they're like, I didn't hear you. Like all three times I was standing next to you, I said it, and you were even looking me in the face. You know, I mean, it's, hello? It's a classic argument. We, we didn't hear it. And what does Paul do? Man, you have to love Paul's robust knowledge of the Old Testament. Because what does he say? Because that. Uh, Remember Psalm chapter 19, verse 4? That's what he says. He, says, uh, he quotes it in his Greek Septuagint. He, he quotes it from there. He says there, uh, w- what the original says, their line has gone out through all, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The key is that, is that statement, throughout all the earth, to the ends of the world. It follows up on the most famous verses probably from that passage in Psalm 19, and you know them well. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. That's a great statement. Don't forget that word knowledge. We'll see it here in Romans 10 in a moment. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Great presentation, a a striking rebuttal from Paul for sure. And uh, the fact is, he dismisses the argument with the same point that he made in Romans chapter 1. If you were here many moons ago, when we covered Romans chapter 1, he said the same thing. He's pointing to it. Literally, they uh, they were without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Well, he starts with Psalm 19. Weird place to start because he's not talking about Israel and the law and everything they have. He's talking about, as David is, Psalm 19, the heavens, creation declares God's glory. He's literally saying, listen, don't say you haven't heard because the heavens declare the glory of God. You have something declaring for you who God is. And he presents it as such as he did in Romans chapter 1. Literally, God has revealed himself throughout the entire world. We call this natural revelation. And then you follow that up with Jeremiah 29, 13, and we'll see it in a moment, but through that, we see God's absolute and universal promise. What is that? Well, he says, every man everywhere, a person who is sincerely seeking him will never, I have really messed up. Okay. No, I didn't. Good. I thought I did for a second there. Goodness. See, you make one mistake, or computer messes with you one, you think you make more. I'm sorry. But yeah, seeks for him will fail, will never fail to find him, that no person who sincerely seeks for him will fail to find him. What does the verse say in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13? You probably know it well. You probably could say it. Uh, It's just a simple presentation. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And we've studied Jeremiah, we've studied Isaiah more so, but we understand that, okay, if we want to argue contextually that's just talking to Israel, fine. We can find the same universal principle throughout much of Scripture. You can find it in the Psalms, you can find it in many places, and it is certainly a universal principle, the reality that God says, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me, you'll find me. And Paul is speaking to this reality. He said, listen, hey, Israel, don't, don't try to argue. Jews, don't try to say that, that you couldn't find him. The way of salvation, the gospel, is always offered to men everywhere if they will but heed it. In the context of Romans chapter 10, now I think this is neat. Because what did we just say a few verses earlier? What did Paul just say? 
He says, no, wait a minute. How can they hear if they don't have a preacher, right? We said, how can they hear? Now, here's a great proof. Yeah, you know, I love what Paul does here. He says, back here, what? You know, how can they believe unless they've heard? And if they haven't heard, how can they hear if they don't have a preacher? And how can a preacher go if it hasn't been sent? And then he comes here, a couple of verses later, he kind of leaves you hanging there after he says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings of good things. And he says, that's wonderful. Then he comes here and he says, listen, you know what? Every single person has a preacher of God's glory. All they got to do is look up. The heavens declare the glory. So we sometimes use that, and boy, we say, oh, man, you know, boy, we've got to send all these preachers. We do. We need to send missionaries. Praise the Lord. But I sure am thankful that God has already put a preacher called creation out there. So people can see the glory of God. And then that follows with and plays into the principle of God that says, if ye seek me, ye shall find me. You draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. See, all of creation is a preacher of God. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, he says, that's not the problem. It's not that you didn't hear. And that, Romans chapter 1, is to all mankind. He says, it's not that you didn't hear. It's not that, that as you say in this verse in Romans chapter 10, well, what if we didn't hear? No, 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 that's not the problem. You remember what he said in verse 18? He, he said, you held the truth in unrighteousness. It's there to be seen, the verse before, or two verses before, he says, you're without excuse. Because all of creation tells you there's God, points to God, yet the fact is you've held that in unrighteousness. We study that in abundance back in Romans chapter 1, but such is the idea that he has proven the point that all mankind does not suffer from not hearing, or as we would use the word in our modern sense of not knowing about God, they suffer from holding the truth in unrighteousness. We saw there, how do you hold the truth in unrighteousness? You look at the world and you say something like this. It created itself. It crawled out of the ooze. That's holding the truth in unrighteousness. A God who has revealed, listen, I created this. In the beginning, evolution? No, in the beginning, God. And he has revealed that throughout all the creation. So, the fact is, they simply, as the title of this Roman numeral says, they, they d- simply don't heed what can be known through, about God through the book of creation, we might call it, or the words of creation. As Psalm 19 kind of puts it in, their, their words have gone through to the end of the earth and throughout all the world. But now he, Romans chapter 10, Paul does, he figuratively kind of takes that truth and slaps Israel with the same condemning argument. He says, you, you hear but you just don't heed. It's not that you didn't hear. You don't heed it. You don't surrender to it. And he says it goes deeper and farther than that. See, not only did they have the book and the words of creation, but they had the books and words of the special revelation in the law and God's written word to them as a nation. They, as we put in our outline, you see it there, they were privy to both his natural revelation and his special revelation. Mosaic law, the scriptures given through the prophets even, and as he designed it. In fact, it was God's designated plan. In fact, we would call Israel God's designated custodians of this special revelation of the scriptures. He, he chose them. They were his chosen means by which the specific and special revelation was to be given. It was to be preserved through them. It was supposed to be dispersed to all nations. Hence, one of the ways that in the nation of Israel, all the world was to be blessed was through this reality. And yet, what does Paul say? You have not obeyed the gospel. 
they willingly rejected, did not surrender to what could be heard. There's absolutely no surrender to heed what could be heard loud and clear. And we would echo what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, but apply it to the Jews here. They were without excuse. So they stop a moment, they think, they respond, they don't have much to say to, to Paul's argument and his response to their questions, and says, okay, okay, yeah, well, we may have heard it, but we didn't understand it. You ever have a child say, well, I, yeah, I heard you, but I didn't know what you meant. Have you ever heard of asking instead of not doing it? <laughs> and that's really what the Jews are almost saying. What if we didn't know? Look at the verse, if you will, with me. Verses 19 and 20, actually. He says, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a, a foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah, Isaiah is very bold. And saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. I'll be honest, as I said before, I love thinking what was going through Paul's mind, uh, how he might respond as he's writing this. I can just imagine Paul was maybe chuckling a little bit to himself as he envisions these arguments of the Jews. You see, it is not that they didn't know they needed to believe and surrender to God in this way. It's not that this way of salvation, apart from the law and through faith alone, was something they'd never heard. We've seen that already. It was not that they weren't presented with the universality of God's offer of salvation before that moment. No, they had all that and even acknowledged it at times. And the reality is, they simply neglected it. In Roman number 2, you see it here. The fact is this. We see their neglected knowledge. It was there staring them in the face, we might put it as that. They neglected it from the beginning. I would say that Paul was on a roll in quoting from the Old Testament in giving his rebuttals to these perceived arguments of the Jews. Hold your spot. Turn with me. We're going to turn all the way back to Deuteronomy, if you will, with me. Let's go back to the beginnings of our Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, and a time and a period kind of recording very much the beginning of the nation of Israel, at least in the aspect of giving the, uh, the laws and such to Israel, giving them instructions. Deuteronomy chapter 32, we, uh, we're going to read verse 21. This is the verse that, that Paul is quoting here in verse number 19 back in Romans chapter 10. So Deuteronomy chapter number 32 and verse 21. God's speaking, and he's speaking about Israel. He says this, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. Now, we know what he's referring to, the reality of idols and so forth, false gods. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. Here's the part that Paul quoted. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. See, we've already witnessed this. Paul has quoted last chapter, Romans chapter 9. We saw where Paul quoted Hosea. He said very similar things. Listen, I've chosen a, a people that are not my people. I, I've chosen a, a people that, 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 I, that, that were not of like you, Israel. It's quite interesting that here it is in Deuteronomy. period of time in which Israel is established as a nation. 1,500 years before Paul, at least, pens his letter. Here is God, and what is he doing? Don't miss it. He is revealing the intricacies of his plan of salvation. And the reality that he was going to open the door through Israel's rejection to the Gentiles, you and I, to believe. 
literally explaining how it's going to play out down through the halls of time. And on top of that, Israel's response, jealousy, anger, mad about this rejection in themselves. He's literally telling Israel, listen, you, you will fail to surrender me. You will not have faith as you ought to, and I'm going to open that door to the Gentiles, and through my offer to them, you will be driven to that jealousy and anger. If that wasn't enough, Deuteronomy, then, then God also moves many times over Isaiah to prophesy the same thing. That's what, what Paul's referring to in here in verse 20, back in Romans 10. He, said, he quotes Isaiah. You see what he says in verse number 20? He says, listen, Isaiah was bold to say that. In other words, he kind of took his life into his hands. He was bold in saying that. It'd be like going into North Korea and start preaching about democracy and capitalism being the best thing. Okay, you're taking your life in your hands, man. And that's what he's saying about Isaiah. Isaiah's saying the similar thing. And he's, he's telling Israel, you're going to be uh, not replaced in the sense of taking out of the family. We get that. But you know what? You're going to reject God. And God's going to open that door for Gentiles to believe. God's making his plan clear and obvious to them. Here's what Isaiah said. It's Isaiah 65 and verse number 1. What Paul quotes in verse 20, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. You know what he is presenting? Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 65, Hosea that we looked at when we studied Romans chapter 9. God, long ago, and I would use the word presented instead of uh, predicted. I changed it later in my notes, but too late for yours. Presented what? Well, the universality of salvation. That salvation wasn't through the law in any other means, and it wasn't limited to Israel. But they neglected what God had begun revealing to them back in Deuteronomy. All of that goes into it in the reality what was steering them in the face, they neglected what they knew. And throughout their long and eventful history, a history in which they were exposed to God's many revelations through nature, through His Word, through His prophets, through the priests, it really seems unfathomable, doesn't it, that they could argue they didn't know. As you and I study the Old Testament, like, wow, there it is. And by faith, Abraham did this. And by faith, and, the, and, and I mean, Moses, I mean, we just see it all. It's right there. This We look at Hebrews, and it tells us the, the hall of faith and all these by faith. And, and it's spread out. We look at Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and you even see the hints and the pictures of Christ. And it's all there. The gospel and everything is presented. We look at Israel. We say, man, Israel, how did you not know this? Why did? Well, they did know it. They just refuse to believe it. Surrender to it. Now let me tell you what played into it, and I think this is a buzzword for today. And we've got to be careful that, uh, that we likewise don't allow it to creep up in areas of our life. The fact is this. You were to ask us to derive, <laughs> describe the Jews in that day, Christ's day, other times, we would have to describe them as very prejudiced. Very prejudiced. And what does a prejudice do? It, it blinds you to the truth that is staring you in the face. Israel will be like, wait, wait this, no, he's our God. We're the Jewish nation. We're the chosen nation. Who are the Gentiles? Paul, you're saying that anybody can be saved without keeping the law? You remember what happened in Acts, the new church? But Paul says, I, 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 I'm going to the Gentiles. <laughs> then they had to have a council, like good churches had to have a meeting. Council to decide, okay, how can they be saved? 
Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to be a proselyte to be a Jew first, and then they can be saved? And thankfully, they came to understand what the truth is. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. See, it's interesting. I mean, we see it. The, the birth of the, the infant church in Acts is, is, man, there's birthing pains. Because the Jews are like, wait a second, this, is not, this isn't, no, 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 you can't, no, this isn't fair, we're God's, and boy, there's just argument after argument after argument. And there's a reality here that they're very prejudiced. What is prejudice? Great terminology or definition of it. I, I think it'd do us good to remember that it comes from Latin, and the Latin meaning of it is simply this, judgment in advance. <laughs> judgment, you've already made up your mind. You're not even going to listen. You're not even going to pay attention. You're not going to entertain the truth, the facts that are presented. Nothing's going to sway you. And so it was with Israel. They refused to surrender to the truth that God made abundantly clear. Paul's saying, now listen, don't tell me you didn't know. Don't tell me you didn't hear. You've had it through the revelation God has given you the entire history. It's there if you will but see let me ask you this. Were there not Jews through every era, through every age, through every time of Israel's history that trusted in God? Sure there were. Sure there were. There were some, though they failed as a nation, there were individuals who came to understand. It's there. I can see it. It's a great truth and a great reality that much of Israel had passed judgment already in advance. May I tell you today, there are some Jews you don't want to bring up Jesus Christ to. They've already passed up judgment. They don't want to hear what you have to say about Jesus Christ fulfilling Isaiah 53, even using the part of the Bible that they only recognize. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to entertain that. You see, the fact is this. They just simply, even in that day and even today, many Jews will not give it the time of day. May I just submit to you, listen carefully, prejudice can make you blind to the truth. The astronomer uh, Galileo got into hot water, 1633, I think it was. Forgive me if I'm wrong here, maybe a year or so before. He was brought before the Catholic Church Inquisition. As you may know from history, that typically didn't turn out well. Why was he brought before the, 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 the Catholic Church Inquisition there? Well, it was found out and heard that he began teaching heretical uh, statements, teaching heresy. What was his heresy? Well, he preached or taught, I should say, excuse me, that the, that the earth revolved around the sun. Well, on that day, you know very well, probably, that it was common theory, though there wasn't much to back it up, that that's not the case, or excuse me, that what they believed was not the case, and that's that everything revolved around the earth. Galileo began teaching, oh, that's not correct here. I can, I show, and, and he stood before that, that, uh, uh, that inquisition. Here's what happened, the most interesting thing. He said, listen, I, I can show you. I, he shared with him his teachings and what he believed, why he believed it. And he said, listen, I can just show you. If you'll just come and look through my telescope, I can, you'll see for yourself. I can prove it to you and show you that, that it's, not, it's not the sun revolving around us. Well, we're revolving around the sun. You know what that inquisition did? Hard to believe they refused. We don't want to look. We don't want to do that. May I tell you? They were prejudiced, weren't they? Today we look back and we think that was silly. If you want to know the foolishness and the silliness that we have returned to, that there's people even today that believe in a flat earth. People in that day were persecuted for the idea of teaching that it, no, it's a sphere. It's, a, it's round. We can go. It's funny these things. But listen, here's the point. Get it. Don't miss it. 
They completely refused. In fact, he was put under house arrest, and he stayed in his villa uh, until his death. They didn't even walk up to a telescope and look through it to see the truth. You know what prejudice is? You're blind to the truth because you've made judgment in advance. You are unwilling to even take in the evidence. You won't even listen. You won't even entertain it. May I tell you what Paul's saying to the Jews? Listen, you've already made up your minds. You're going to earn your way to heaven, not through faith. You're going to try to earn your way through the law, your heritage. How many times did they argue with Jesus Christ? We are of our Father. And he said, yes, you are of your Father, the devil. The devil. They're claiming everything but the truth. So they didn't care if there was evidence to the contrary. To what they believed, it was settled. Judgment was already passed in their minds, and so it is even with Israel today. They still refuse Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They still refuse the gospel as a lawless salvation that is only gotten through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Paul is laying out a tremendous presentation for you and I. And he's building up to this truth, Romans chapter 11. So God must be done with Israel. I tell you, praise to the grace of God and the mercy of God, he's not done with Israel. They've done a lot to deserve him being done, but our God is gracious and merciful, just like he is to you and I. Time has flown, and so we need to move on. Brother Cliff, you'll bring